0: Hello and welcome uh, to uh, Wrigley's Education Podcast. Uh, I'm Chris Billington and I'm joined by my colleague Graham Shaw, uh, both part of the education team here at Wrigley's. And in this session, uh, we're looking at uh, points that we've been discussing with uh, many uh, multi-academy trusts uh, around features of successful mats. Principally, we've drawn from... The Characteristics of Successful Multi-Academy Trust, a document produced by the DFE back in August uh, 2015. Um, but given that Graham and I, between us, have been working with uh, academies since uh, 2003, uh, we bring a level of personal uh, experience of uh, many of the issues that we are going to be covering in this session. Uh, for my part, um, I have been and in some cases continue to be uh, a member of a local governing body. Uh, I've been an academy trustee and I've been uh, chair of an academy trust. Um, the first question really that does raise itself is, well what do we mean by uh, success? Um, and in terms of uh, this particular session, uh, success has nothing to do with the quality of your education vision. Uh, This is about the sustainability of your uh, multi-academy trust. Um, Graham in a moment will be talking about uh, the nine key characteristics of uh, success uh, covering areas such as strategic vision, planning, uh, quality assurance, delegation uh, and other matters. Um, One thing that I would like to highlight is that um, recent publications and certainly focus for the Department for Education is around uh, the question of uh, recognizing that multi-academy trusts go through various stages of growth, uh, various stages of uh, maturity. It is not possible for uh, a multi-academy trust to be completely compliant from day one, albeit that is both the uh, legal requirement and uh, unfortunately in many instances the expectation from uh, ESFA and uh, the Department for Education. So with that I'm going to hand over to Graham uh, to look in more detail at some of those characteristics of successful multi-academy trusts.
1: Thanks Chris. The first key feature of an effective multi-academy trust is a clear understanding of the legal status of the trust. Firstly, it's a clear understanding of the fact that the trust is both a company limited by guarantee and also an exempt charity and say it's bound by and required to comply with company law and also charity law. Also, it's about recognising that the Multi-Academy Trust is a contracting party to a number of funding agreements with the Secretary of State for Education, which sets out a range of terms and conditions and requirements that the Multi-Academy Trust is required to comply with in return for grant funding provided by the Education and Skills Funding Agency. One of those requirements is the obligation to comply with the Academy's financial handbook. Now a clear understanding of the legal status of the multi-academy trust as a company, as an exempt charity, as a contracting party to funding agreements and also required to comply with the Academy's financial handbook are really clear prerequisites for the effective running of a multi-academy trust. They ensure that if complied with then the multi-academy trust will be governed effectively and also minimise and avoid the risk of being subject to a financial notice to improve. The next key feature of an effective multi-academy trust is that of effective and transparent governance. Firstly, it's about having a clear understanding of the identity and purpose of the members of the Trust. Crucially, the members are independent of the trustees. Yes, they appoint the trustees and they hold the trustees to account. But crucially, the responsibility for the strategic operation and running of the MAT are effectively delegated from the members to the trustees. And so, as the Academy's financial handbook says, the role of the members is very much about being eyes on and hands off. Also, important to state that the members of a multi academy trust are the only. Group within the governance of the trust that are able to change or update the articles of the multi-academy trust. In terms of the trustees, the DfE model documents refer to them as being trustees, which is correct insofar as charity law is concerned. However, they are also directors for the purposes of company law. So referring back to the earlier point, they're required to comply with company law and charity law. In terms of the running of the mat, then that's entirely what they do. They manage the business of the multi-academy trust. They exercise the powers of the multi-academy trust. They set the vision and the ethos and direction of the trust. And crucially, they're responsible for the education and financial performance of the multi-academy trust. In terms of who sits on the board of trustees then it's about the trustees between them having the right skill set. I'll talk in a little while about the strategic plan for the MAT and in that regard what's key here in relation to the board of trustees is that the trustees between them possess the skill set required to monitor and oversee and ensure delivery of the strategic plan for the multi-academy trust. An effective mat will have a clear job description for each trustee position setting out what's required in terms of skill set and input from that particular trustee It's really important to mention that once the trustees are in place, it's not a set or permanent position, quite the opposite. An effective mark should regularly be reviewing the skill set of its trustees against the strategic development plan to ensure that on an ongoing basis it has the right skill set from its Board of Trustees. Moving beneath the Board of Trustees an effective multi-academy trust will also have a clear local governing body structure for its academies. In terms of identity then a local governing body is simply a committee of the Board of Trustees. It doesn't have a separate legal identity. In our experience this is often something that's missed or misunderstood. And we often see that when schools convert to academy status within a multi academy trust, those schools are told that very little will change. And so what happens post conversion is that the local governing body can find itself believing that it can tell the Board of Trustees what to do and that simply just is not the case. The Board of Trustees decides to create a local governing body as a committee of the board and so it can decide to take that committee away. Crucially it's the Board of Trustees that set the terms of reference for the local governing body and also the scheme of delegation which sets out range of functions that are delegated down to the local local governing body for them to discharge. An effective map will also give thought to how the head teachers of the various schools and also the chairs of the various local governing bodies are to be engaged and feel included in the running of the multi-academy trust. Now that is not to say that they should be included on the board of trustees as i said earlier the board of trustees must have the right skill set it's not about the board of trustees having the right representational model but we've seen multi-academy trusts where they have separate groups for one for the head teachers one for local governing body chairs where those groups can be consulted Their views can be expressed and taken into account. The next key feature of an effective multi-cademy trust is that of an active strategic plan. Setting out where the mat is now and where it wants to go. Setting out the mission and the vision and the values that are core to the multi-academy trust and that will drive everything. An effective strategic plan will set out clearly what kind of MAT the MAT wishes to be. Is it to be for example for primary schools only or will it be for primary and secondary schools? Will it be for church schools only or for non-church schools or will it be mixed? An effective strategic plan will also be clear on the growth strategy of the mat going forward. For example is it envisaged that the multi-academy trust will grow by academy conversions or academy transfers or perhaps a merger with one or more other multi-academy trusts. The plan will be really clear as to how that growth is to be sequenced so for example will there be a period of growth followed by a period of consolidation because what's really critical and the Department for Education is really focused on this is that the capacity and continued performance of the multi-academy trust including academies already within the trust must be assured because if that's not the case then the multi-academy trust becomes vulnerable to the eyes of the RSC, the Regional Schools Commissioner and the Department in terms of concerns around its performance Importantly the strategic plan must not only talk about the educational performance of the academies and the multi-academy trust but also about the resources and operating systems of the multi-academy trust how are they going to keep up and support and assure the performance of the academies within the trust including those that join. Finally an effective strategic plan will identify the key risks to the implementation of that plan and how they're going to be mitigated. The next key feature of an effective multi-academy trust is that of a clear staffing structure. The reason this is important is that not only do the members hold the Board of Trustees to account but also the Board of Trustees hold the staff to account. And most immediately, they hold the senior executive team of the multi-academy trust to account. Now, the academy's financial handbook is clear that every multi-academy trust must have a senior executive leader. Whether they're called the chief executive, or indeed, whether they're called an executive principal whatever title they are given, they report to the trustees. A multi-academy trust will also have what's called a chief financial officer. Again, this is a requirement of the Academy's financial handbook. Although in practice they may be called the business manager or the finance director or indeed the chief financial officer. The chief executive or executive principal and the chief financial officer are the two key required positions within a multi-academy trust in accordance with the academy, academy's financial handbook. However, an effective multi-academy trust must give thought to other positions that should be included within the senior executive team. The first of those is a clerk. Now, a number of multi-academy trusts may or may not have a clerk in post. We would expect that to be the case that there is a clerk or a number of clerks for a multi-academy trust. The key thing, though, is that that clerk has the right skill set, that they've received the proper training, that they're able not just to be a minute taker but also to spot and advise on compliance issues and regulatory issues during the administration of the trust. Depending on their size a multi-academy trust may also choose to have what's called a chief operating officer. A chief operating officer may perform the function of a company secretary Though not strictly required by the Companies Act. Depending on the size of the map, they may also perform the role of the HR officer. Increasingly, we see that the Chief Operating Officer performs a compliance function for a multi academy trust as well. Depending on the size of the multi academy trust, it may be the case. That the HR function is performed separately by a HR director, and that responsibility for the property estate of the Multi Academy Trust sits with an estates manager. Whatever the composition or structure of the senior executive team, what is key is that the positions and allocation of responsibilities is clearly aligned to the strategic plan for the trust and how the trust operates in practice. The final key feature of an effective multi-academy trust is robust risk management. Now the Academy's financial handbook is clear that the audit function of the multi-academy trust must be in place. Where the multi-academy trust has an annual turnover of of less than 50 million pounds then the handbook is clear that that audit function can be integrated with another committee of the trust for example the Finance and Resources Committee. However where the annual turnover of the multi-academy trust is in excess of that 50 million pounds threshold then that audit function must be undertaken by a separate audit committee in terms of robust risk management what's really important to state is that this is a responsibility of the mat as a whole it's not just for the board of trustees or the senior executive team it's for both of those areas of the MAT but also for individual academies and what's really important is that the MAT has a central risk register that identifies the key risks for the multi-academy Trust and crucially names and identifies who is responsible for each risk and how each risk is to be monitored and mitigated. Crucially, it's also about having regular reporting back to the Board of Trustees in relation to that risk register, how those risks are being managed, how they're being mitigated, to ensure that the Board of Trustees has clear visibility on how risk management is taking place.
0: Thank you Graham. Um, We've been looking at what makes the multi-academy trust successful Um, but throughout uh, what Graham has been uh, saying it's important to note that compliance is a basic requirement Uh, and as I uh, noted in my opening remarks Uh, There is an expectation and a legal obligation on a multi-academy trust to be compliant with charity law, uh, with company law and with its contractual obligations principally under the Academy's financial handbook from day one. Uh, That is uh, no small feat. Um, Just to add though to um, what Graham has been talking about, I quickly wanted to uh, mention two additional points. The first is in relation to robust finances. Um, We're all aware that schools have very challenging uh, financial positions uh, and it's important as part of the compliance function uh, that the multi-academy trust is able to evidence that it has controls, systems and processes in place which enable it to maintain that overview of finances across all of the academies. The accounting officer has oversight, the trustee board has ultimate responsibility for uh, the finances of the academy trust. Uh, But it's also clear that uh, there is a great deal of scope for multi-academy trusts to structure themselves in ways that suit their individual style, their ethos, uh, their values. Uh, Here I'm looking at the distinction between centralization and uh, that uh, autonomous position which uh, is often used when uh, academies are being spoken about. Uh, certainly, the multi-academy trust at its centre uh, needs to have those control systems and processes to maintain that oversight, but that still allows for clear delegation and for local decisions to be made. There's no requirement in this process that schools lose their identity. Uh, In terms of the robust finances, it's clear that if funding is insufficient, schools need to find alternative sources. It remains the case that some schools do significantly better than others in uh, managing their finances, in finding the efficiencies uh, to uh, fund uh, the education provision. Uh, but where can you go for additional uh, funding? Um, here we enter into the realm of uh, the likes of charity trading, uh, traded services within uh, the, uh, from the school itself, uh, where it has got uh, an efficient and effective HR service, public service, uh, the uh, internal functions that Graham mentioned, and being able then to uh, sell those out to other schools. Uh, the collaboration that takes place through uh, teaching school alliances and other traditional school-to-school support, uh, which can be done on a cost basis. This is not to suggest that schools necessarily need to be run as businesses, but they need to recognise efficiencies, Uh, they need to work in an effective way. That makes them a stronger organisation and gives them a far stronger foundation when it comes to uh, what we all believe education is about, which is about the children itself. as I start, said at the start, in determining the success of a multi-academy trust, uh, we are looking beyond that education. Um, both Graham and I, in our work with academies, have come across many examples of the way in which ESFA uh, look at whether or not an academy uh, an academy trust has been successful. Um, and in many cases, it remains that uh, success is linked to remaining under uh, the radar insofar as the ESFA is concerned because if the ESFA takes a detailed look at any multi-academy trust uh, they will find uh, issues of non-compliance with the Academy's financial handbook. Whether or not those are significant uh, is a matter for uh, debate Uh, but those who have sought to engage in such debate with ESFA uh, know that it is very often a one-sided discussion. And we have seen examples in, for example, the financial notices to improve uh, where an academy trust is required to update its articles or to update its funding agreement, none of which have any real significance in relation to the issue of uh, compliance or uh, any other area that ESFA may have concerns justifying uh, an initial investigation. We've seen examples where uh, members have been given two days to adopt new articles uh, which simply doesn't allow for the uh, approval framework within the articles itself. Uh, There is still a significant learning curve on the part of ESFA as well as multi-academy trusts in terms of what is a a charitable company limited by guarantee, what is a multi-academy trust. Um, We continue to work with uh, multi-academy trusts uh, and hope that uh, you are finding your own success. Uh, That closes uh, our podcast session uh, today. Uh, We thank you for uh, listening. If there are any questions arising or issues that you would like to discuss, please do get in touch with us. Uh, Our details are available on our website. Thank you.